And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Listen, get your Bibles and turn to Matthew, the very last chapter, Matthew 28. I'm going to take a look at both ends of Matthew 28. Now, before we get there, I do want to say uh, that yes, I am wearing this jacket in honor of Jack Nicholas. In fact, thank you for having the sale yesterday because I was in there and, and Robert grabbed it and took it off the thing. I hadn't seen it yet. And he says, Ooh, I like this. And I said, Oh, oh, that's the master's song. Oh, hang on right there. Just a second. Just a second. Oh, I've been listening to that for 50 years. Okay. Uh, so he takes the coat, and, and I can tell. Uh, no offense, Robert, but you're skinny. You're tall and skinny. And I'm like, no way. I said, give me that thing. And so I put it on, and of course it fits perfect. Now, it happens to be a, uh, what is it? Um, yeah, Hart, Schaffner, and Marks. Jack Nicholas, Golden Bear, Augusta. It's his knockoff. And, and so I gave $40, and, and, I, and I had some other little things that I had picked out and what have you. But I told, I told Tyler, I said, if this really was a Jack Nicholas jacket, one of his six, I would have given him 50 <laughs> No, I'm just playing. Listen, we're going to be... We're gonna be re- what was that? We're going to be re- reading from... Oh, my Bible's upside down. Let's not do that. Matthew 28. Uh, now, after that, let me, let me say something serious. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. That's what this day is about. So, we're going to read two different short passages. The first is verses 5 and 6. Where are you? You're escaping me. Here we go. Okay, so if you would, just stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Again, this is Matthew, the last chapter in Matthew, verses, it's Matthew 28, uh, verses 5 and 6, and then we'll go to the end of the chapter. And here's what Matthew says, But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Verse 6, He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come, see the place where He lay. Now let's go to the end of the chapter. Let's go to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that incredible? After what they've seen Jesus do in his three years and then resurrected, and uh, this is some 40 days later, there's still some who doubt. Now, let's go to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and in earth have been given to me. Go, th- go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. 
Lord, it, it tells us the truth. We can depend on it. We can, as the saying goes, we can take it to the bank. Uh, Father, it's never in doubt. We are the ones who are continually in doubt. So this morning as we engage with this Scripture uh, concerning the crucifixion and then the resurrection and just what that means for us today as believers, Father, I pray that You would just speak that truth into our hearts so that when we leave here, Father, we will be changed. We will be more conformed to the image of Your Son, the One who was crucified and yet risen from the dead. It's in His precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if this is true, if this is real, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, as verse 6 says, and that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, as verse 18 says, and that He will be with His disciples to the end of the age, as verse 20 says, if this is true, then nothing is more important in our lives. Nothing is more crucial or more urgent or more needful than believing it and becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, I know it's a big if, if it is true, if this is real, you may or may not believe it. But if the premise is true, wouldn't you agree with the conclusion? Nothing is more important for everyone in this room to believe in Jesus and to be His follower. Just think of it. In verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, if this is true, then today, Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. He has authority over politics and government. He has authority over all armies and military might. He has authority over all industry and business, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, and yes, even your 401k. He has authority over science and education, all research and discovery and universities and colleges. He has authority all over, over all entertainment and media. Radio, TV, newspapers, magazines, internet, social social media, theater, art, you name it. He has authority over all sports and leisure, including crowning UConn as the NCAA uh, basketball champs for the fifth time after their defeat uh, of San Diego State last Monday night. He has authority over all natural phenomenon, all weather, Floods and volcanoes and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and climate change. He has authority over all planets and moons and stars and light and energy and motion and time. Therefore, He has authority over our lives. That's health and disease, success, failure, even life and death. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. You may or may not believe the testimony of Jesus and His disciples. But I hope you see at least that if it is true that Jesus rose from the dead as Lord of the universe with all authority in heaven and on earth, then believing it and following Jesus as our Lord is the most important, most urgent, most crucial thing in our lives. No matter how hard I try to think of an alternative, I can't escape the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Lord of the universe with all the authority in heaven and on earth is the greatest event in the history of the world. Except, perhaps, for the one that happened three days earlier. 
namely his death. So what I want to do this morning is ponder two events with you, or think about two claims that Matthew 28 makes. One, that Jesus was crucified. The other, that Jesus has risen from the dead and is alive with us to the end. Now, there would have been no need for the resurrection if Jesus had not died. And uh, there would be no saving significance in His death if He had not risen. Both are crucially important. Now, the time is early Sunday morning. Uh, we were out early this morning. And it was it, uh, Wayne made, made a good point. He says, they were probably walking to the tomb in the dark. And by the time they got there, you know, it was beginning to be where this... That's how it was when we were at the park this morning, uh, at the fort. Yeah, you're walking out there in the dark with your phone, throwing a thing, but five or ten minutes later, it starts showing. And that's, that's what's going on. Mary Magdalene, the other women, they have come to the tomb of Jesus. Verse 3 says that they see an angel whose appearance is like lightning. Then according to verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Now that's the first claim that I want us to focus on. Jesus has been crucified. Now what do we need to know about this event? That Jesus was crucified so that His resurrection is seen for what it really is. Now here are five things. Number one, the crucifixion of Jesus was public. This thing didn't happen in a corner. It wasn't a secret rite. It was not mythological. It was historical and it was public. There were crowds of people who saw it happen in an open, public place. All the religious and secular leaders, they were involved. Even secular historians of the earliest centuries treated the death of Jesus as a historical fact. Tacitus, he's the Roman historian. He was born in A.D. 55. That's about 25 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And he did not follow Jesus. So he is speaking here just as a Roman. He explained who Christians were by saying this. He said, Christ, from whom they took their name, had been put to death as a punishment during the reign of Tiberius at the hand of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. And a most mischievous superstition <laughs> broke out not only in Judea, the, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. Well, that superstition that he's talking about is the resurrection. He doesn't discount the death of Jesus And it was by crucifixion at all. It's the resurrection that he's having trouble with. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. So the crucifixion of Jesus was public. Second, the crucifixion of Jesus was painful. The article on cross in the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, that's a mouthful, describes crucifixion. It says, The punishment was meted out for such crimes as treason, desertion in the face of the enemy, robbery, piracy, assassination, sedition, etc. Among the Romans, crucifixion was preceded by scourging, undoubtedly to hasten impending death. The victim then bore his own cross, or at least the upright beam, to the place of execution. The number of nails used seems to be have been indeterminate. 
a tablet on which the feet rested or on which the body was partly supported seems to have been a part of the cross to keep the wounds from tearing through the transfixed members. The suffering of death by crucifixion was intense, especially in hot climates. The swelling around the rough nails and the torn, lacerated tendons and nerves caused excruciating agony. The arteries of the head and stomach were surcharged with blood and a terrific throbbing headache ensued. The mind was confused and filled with anxiety and dread foreboding. The victim of crucifixion literally died a thousand deaths. The, the, the sufferings were so frightful that Josephus, he was the, the Jewish hist, uh, historian, he wrote, even among the raging passions of war, pity was sometimes excited. The length of this agony was wholly determined by the constitution of the victim, but death rarely ensued before 36 hours had elapsed. Just let that sink in. The average person on the cross lasted about 36 hours. Death was sometime hastened by breaking the legs of the victims and by a hard blow delivered under the armpit before crucifixion. Cura fracta means broken legs, was a well-known Roman term. The sudden death of Christ evidently was a matter of astonishment. Thus says the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. So there's no surprise when we read in the Gospels that Jesus gave a loud cry. His suffering in those last hours was indescribable. The crucifixion was painful. Number three, the crucifixion of Jesus was planned by God. Jesus said to His disciples several times that this was His destiny. For instance, in Matthew 17, He says, uh, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill Him, and He will be raised on the third day. Now in Acts 4, uh, uh, verses 27 to 28, the disciples prayed to God like this. They said, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. You see, the death of Jesus was not a historical fluke or accident or merely the effect of a great injustice. It occurred by the predetermined plan of God. Now, this is a teaching of the New Testament everywhere. How about this? For God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only begotten Son. John 3.16 in Romans 8.32, Paul says, He, God, did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. Jesus was crucified by design, not by accident. Well, number four, the crucifixion of Jesus was punishment for sin, but not His own. This was God's plan, that His only eternal, uncreated, divine Son should be born as a man live a perfect life and then die, not for his sins, but for the sins of others. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Galatians 1.4, Christ gave himself for our sins according to the will of our God and Father. In 1 Corinthians 15.3, Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, let's consider one of those Jewish Scriptures from nearly 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus. Isaiah says, He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him, the Messiah, Christ, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. His death was punishment for sin, but not for His own. Well, that leads to one last thing to say about His death. Number five, the crucifixion of Jesus is precious. Now, that's not my word, but, but I love it. Uh, it it's, what was, it's what those who knew Him best, it's what they taught. In his first epistle, in first epistle, Peter wrote, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver, silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Again, in 1 Peter 2.7, To you therefore who believe, He is precious. The crucifixion of Jesus is precious to those who believe because by that death, we are ransomed from sin and guilt and condemnation and hell and given eternal life. This is what Jesus came to accomplish, eternal life for all who believe. This is why He was crucified. It was public. It was painful. It was planned. It was punishment for us. And it was precious. Now my prayer today is that you will see Jesus for who He is, for who He really is, and He will become precious to you. But He can't be precious to you if He is dead. So the resurrection of Jesus is just as crucial as His crucifixion. So take the final moments of this message and ponder with me this other statement in Matthew 25, verse 6. The angel said to Mary and to the others, He is not here, for He has risen, just as He said. Come, see the place where He was lying. Now what can we say about the resurrection? The truth is, we could talk about it for hours. If I had time, I would talk again about how public it was because He appeared to so many different people and for so many days uh, after His resurrection to increase our confidence that it is true, that it is real. I would talk about how physical it was. Not ghostly, not mythical. It actually happened. I'd also talk, talk about how productive it was. You see, it, it secured the resurrection of all who believe and trust in Jesus. That's Paul, Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But I'm going to uh, only linger over two things about the resurrection of Jesus, and they correspond to verses 18 and 20 in Matthew 28. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus was powerful. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus was personal. So first, the resurrection of Jesus was powerful. This is what Jesus said in verse 18b, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is what it means in the New Testament when Peter says, He has been exalted to the right hand of God. That's part of Peter's first message to the church. As he is being stoned to death for his faith, Stephen says, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Paul says in Colossians 3.1, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12.2, Christ endured the cross, despising the shame, and what? Has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Now, the right hand of God is the place of ultimate authority along with God the Father. Now, Paul says that he is there because he must reign, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 25. The resurrection of Jesus restored Jesus to a place of triumphant authority over all things. And from there, He works out His saving purposes in the world with authority over politics and government and industry and business, with authority over science and education and entertainment and media and weather and stars and light and energy, and yes, again, even life and death. His cause cannot fail. If you have all power and all authority and you cannot die, guess what? Your cause cannot fail. Now, this is a great reason for following Jesus. He cannot fail. Sin and death and hell and evil and Satan cannot defeat His purposes. He will win. That's a good reason to trust Christ and follow Him. It's suicide to oppose Him or to even simply ignore Him. He cannot be ignored. But to win us over... Jesus ends His time on this earth, and Matthew ends his gospel with a very personal promise based on the resurrection. And this is number two, the resurrection of Jesus was personal. The very last verse in the book of Matthew says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is not a problem uh, only to the eleven apostles. Because the promise is to the end of the age, this present age of the world in which we live. Now, there are followers of Jesus in this age, in this world, but the promise holds true for all of us who believe. Jesus says, I am with you always. Now, here's the practical value of this promise. You might take the truth of Christ's authority over all things and just turn it into a theological problem. Well, if he has authority over all the world, why is it in such a mess? Uh, yeah, the world's in a mess. Or if he has the authority over life and death, then why did my child or, 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 or my wife or my mother die? But there's another way to respond to the power and the authority of Jesus. If you will, and Jesus calls you to this, you can see it as the power and authority to free you from sin and fear and greed so that when you trust His promise to be with you, you are unstoppable in your love. If He is with you to the end, and if He has all authority in the universe, then you can love and serve and sacrifice and never lose. This is the practical effect of the resurrection of Jesus when you experience it as both powerful and personal. If you trust Him to be powerful for you and personally there for you no matter what, you're going to be able to live your life without fear. And not just live for your own private interests, but say for the 1.5 million street children in the Philippines or the 16 million people in the Horn of East Africa who are threatened with starvation, or for the 255 people groups still in the world that no one has yet planned to pursue with the love of Christ. If Je now, listen to this. 
if Jesus is not all-powerful and not personally with us to the end, and if we don't trust Him to be that for us, we will simply ignore the needs of others and live for our own private comfort. Let me give you an example invite you to trust Christ in this way. A few, few years ago, World Magazine reported that three children were killed in Bosnia when they accidentally wandered into a minefield. Now, one of them, an 11-year-old girl, called for help for hours before she died, but no one would go out into the minefield to help her. What would you have done? What would I have done? Could it be that this is why Jesus told us that all authority is His? Not so that people could create some type of theological problem out of it, but so that some follower of Jesus would lift his heart and say, Jesus, all authority over these minds is Yours, and You are with me to the end. If You will, You can keep me from stepping on a mine. And if You will, You can take me to heaven. But this I know, you call me to love this little girl. So trusting your power and your personal presence, I go. That is why Jesus tells us that all authority is His. This is the kind of love that will make many disciples, as verse 19 demands. This is why Jesus came. This is why He was crucified. This is why He rose from the dead with all authority. He promised to be with us to the end of the age, to create a people whose sins are forgiven and whose hearts are full of the love of God. They are so emboldened by the triumphant Christ that they spend their lives with risk, with sacrifice and love to help others know and enjoy the greatness of Christ forever and ever. Is this not what you were made for? Is there not something in your own soul that testifies to you that this is true and worthy of full acceptance? Well, this is Easter morning. Christ is risen in power and authority and is present with us until the end of the age. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. It challenges us every time we look into it. Uh, that's part of the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us and show us where we need work. We thank You for the good things that You've done in our lives because of Jesus Christ. But there is oh so much more that we could be doing. So Father, this morning, I pray that if there is anybody here among us today that doesn't know Your Son Jesus as Lord and Savior, that He would turn to You today and ask for forgiveness of sins, that you would bring, that you would adopt them into your family. God, open their eyes to see. Father, if there's others here who are challenged by this thought that yes, uh, our, our lives are not to be about ourselves, God has commissioned us to greater things. Father, speak that truth into our hearts and we'll give you praise and glory for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you don't know Christ this morning, I encourage you, come to Him. Uh, there's only one way to get to God. Jesus said Himself, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, talking about God the Father, except through Me, Himself. If you don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're not saved. Okay? You stand judged, condemned uh, before Him. 
<laughs> both now and for eternity. The only thing that can make things right between you and God, we call it reconciliation, we call it redemption. There's a whole bunch of fancy words. The only thing that will get you in right relationship with God is to ask God to forgive you of your sins and to trust what Jesus Christ did on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Now, Friday night, we had the Good, good Friday service, and, and uh, what's your name, Tyler? He did a great job. Another, another name came to mind. I'm going, nope, that's not it. I know that much. You know, gray hair, it comes. Uh, anyway, Tyler did a great job of sharing with us some really great things about the cross. If you notice, half of my message today was on the cross because it is so important. If you don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, ask God to forgive you. There in the temple, uh, there's, there's two people there, and uh, one is a publican and one is a Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, Lord... I thank you that I ain't like other folks. I'm not an adulterer or a swindler or even like this publican. I tithe twice a week and I fast, okay? Or I tithe of everything that I've got and I fast twice a week. If you know anything about Jewish and their, their, the law, that's more than the law asks. And he, he's proud. I'm glad I'm not like other men, like this publican. The publican can't even lift up his eyes to look, but he beats his chest and he says, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you ever found yourself in that situation where you have nothing to do but to look to God and say, God, have mercy on me? You do that? You know what Jesus said? I tell you that he, the publican, went home justified, which is just a fancy word that means right with God. Do you want to be right with God today? Call out in mercy. Ask Him to forgive you your sins. Trust what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago in His death and then His resurrection, which Paul says is actually for our justification, His resurrection. Trust Him. Come to Him today. If you're a believer, this is a challenging uh, uh, sermon. Uh, if you take seriously uh, Jesus' claim there in Matthew, 18, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now, we all know the Great Commission. Here's a version of it right here. Uh, this is Mark's version. But in Matthew, the next word says, therefore, or go, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Because he's just said, I have all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. That commission just wasn't for those 11 who were there. That was for all of us. And he promises that he's with us to the end of the age. If we believe that, then what I said earlier in my message is true. We have no reason to fear. None whatsoever. It should make us bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Bold in sharing the good news of Jesus. Bold in serving those that are not like us. You know what? It's easy to serve people who are like us. It's not so easy to serve people who are not like us. But that's what the love of Christ compels us to do. So if you're a believer, look at your own heart today. Let the Spirit do a work in you that only He can do. Trust Him. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.